was an interesting thing that came out of the New Statesman ripping apart the current tax system in the UK being like, it's just wealth protection. Mm. I don't know if anyone's particularly interested in that or wants to defend inheritance tax, being <laughs> a landlord. <laughs> oh, silence. <laughs> <laughs> everyone and welcome to another sunday roast we have two wonderful guests with us back again michael can you introduce yourself for anyone who's not familiar with you yes i'm michael lambert i uh, rant a lot on on youtube mostly about the government and about uh, about brexit i'm i'm sort of the antidote to uh, happiness and optimism i think <laughs> <laughs> no we love you we love you <laughs> And Rob? Yeah, sure. My name's Rob Groves. I run the Truth to Power YouTube channel. And a bit like Michael, I, I really speak about government corruption, incompetence and Brexit, the three main prongs. <laughs> Great. My wonderful co-host, Alex, can you tell us a bit about yourself for anyone who's new to the channel? Hi, I'm Alex. I also run a YouTube channel called Political X and rant about Brexit as well as many of the other weird and twisted things that are happening in the political world globally. Uh, I'm a historian and also now legally, I am a journalist as of, yeah. as of this week. So yeah, I can do what I do already. <laughs> you can access uh, number Max. 10. <laughs> Press <laughs> pass to number 10. <laughs> my, my name is Max. I run the Robespierre channel where I talk about politics and Brexit in particular. So Alex, what's our first topic for today? Compost on Mars. That's all we're going to talk about for the next hour. <laughs> No, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about two topics that sort of intertwine with one another: Labour and the Tory Party. And we're going to start off with Labour. We're going to talk about is Labour Tory light? Well, um, it's the first thing that comes to mind is it's probably a bit of a cliche, Alex, but it's this idea of the Overton window. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept that over the last 13 years, the sort of normal politics in inverted commas has shifted significantly to the right. I mean, I, I would say that Rishi Sunak is the most right-wing prime minister of any of this latest set of Tory leaders. Um, and as a result, I think Labour have been dragged to the right politically with them um, to stay within that sort of Overton window of what's considered normal. I, I'm The jury's still out for me on Keir Starmer. I, I, it's probably hope over expectation but i just hope it's the what james o'brien calls the ming vase strategy that Keir Starmer's holding this fragile ming vase as he skates across across the ice rink of politics and he's desperately trying to avoid doing anything that's going to mean that he drops the vase he's just trying to get it safely to the other side of the ring i'm hoping that's what it is but there's no doubt i mean i have to say he's flip-flopped on so many promises I was never a huge Jeremy Corbyn fan as a person, but I did like the Jeremy Corbyn manifesto. And if you remember when Starmer became Labour leader, he wholeheartedly supported the Corbyn manifesto. And bit by bit, he's taken the bricks out of the wall there until I'm afraid he's moved closer to Sunak's agenda than, than, than Jeremy Corbyn's manifesto. And, and I, I'm, I'm just hugely disappointed, Alex. I hope things will change once he is elected, as I'm pretty sure he will be. But uh, as I say, it's more in hope than expectation at this stage. That, sorry to be so miserable. Mm -mm. But, um, that's that's the idea. I think there's an element of honesty there, surely, within mm. that. You're you're recognizing what what the writing on the wall is. It's like they don't want to be radical. Mm, it's almost like they were so scared from what had happened with Corbyn because you brought mm. him up. 
Mm. They're so scared from what happened with Corbyn. They weren't will. They're not willing to to go anywhere near that direction. The sort of John McDonald's economic policy or an FDR. If we're going to an American analogy, pol- economic policy, which is what it seems to be that we need. Mm, mm, yeah. No, I personally think John McDonald would have been a great Chancellor of Exchequer or as a, a, a fan of his. And, and uh, Jeremy Corbyn, I, it's not that I dislike him. I just don't think he was the right person for that job. That's all I'm saying. He was my MP for several years when I lived in Finsbury Park. Um, so I, I know him quite well. Um, but he's just wrong person, wrong time, and we won't even get him onto his Brexit views. <laughs> 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 no, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because both parties would would essentially be Brexiteer parties, wouldn't they? Mm. I, mm. I mean, I can't. They're Brexiteer groups. Mm. Go on, Michael. I could see you want to put your two cents. Well, yes. Uh, um, I, 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 like uh, like Rob, I've been very disappointed with. Uh, we're, we're Starmer. I've given up on him, really. I think he's so, so feeble and so weak. He's so terrified of upsetting this tiny, shrinking minority of ex-Red Wall seat people. And he's alienating so many other people. And I, I think he made the big mistake two years ago when he said, under no circumstances will we ever uh, uh, rejoin the single markets or try to, or, or, or customs union or agree to free movement, or eventually uh, rejoin the EU. Uh, once he'd said that, he was absolutely stuck with it, and he's still repeating it now. I, I mean, it's just so stupid, because he is going to end up in a minority. And he keeps on, even today, he says, yeah, did he say in The Hague or in France, he said that he was going to make, make Brexit work better than, than the Tories. What utter nonsense. It's like mm. making the sinking ship sink not quite so badly. It's just, just crazy. And I think also with their tax policy, they're saying that uh, they're not going to increase taxes on on, on wealthier people. I mean, it's just crazy. It's, it, it, that has to happen. You have to increase taxes for, for, for the better off. There's, there's a group of billionaires that have actually written to Number 10 saying, tax us more. Yes. It's <laughs> just yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, when Bernie Sanders was running in the last one or trying to run the last one, was we're saying tax us more this is ridiculous mm. but it's interesting because it seems like everyone's scared of the wealthy it's almost like the the conversation is only on taxing workers laborers and everyone else must be protected or do not talk about it and it makes me go <laughs> why why are they going down that route it was an interesting thing from dominic cummings as well suggesting that you know when it comes to taxation we're as a population he claimed that we're quite up for grabbing a large chunk of the cash from the wealthy. Mm. But when it comes to other policies, we're a bit more right-wing. I would debate that. I think the NHS is as close to a pure socialist, or it was until the Tories and the Labour Party started privatisation of it, was extremely socialist policy. So the, the way, you know, I, I, I agree with Rob when he said it's a bit like a Ming vase approach to getting this Ming vase across a, an ice rink. The, the Labour Party see themselves as winning by default so that the Tories are burning themselves out and they're, they're collapsing. And maybe Starmer sees as, OK, what I need to do is nothing radical. But if he doesn't do something radical, he's not going to be able to maintain support. So it's not just about winning the election. He also needs to maintain support of the public because at the very, at, you know, as soon as he's in power, there's a risk that he lose power because, you know, the next by-elections or whatever, or the next elect, general election, he's going to lose. Um, he'd be not, he'd be knocked out. So I, I think they need to present something a bit more radical than we're, we're not the Tories. But as you said, you know, 
they are somewhat like the Tories, a sort of Tory light party. When it comes to Brexit, they're saying that they're not going to rejoin the European Union. Um, they are saying when it comes to issues like immigration, we know the ways to, to stop the boats is to, to create safe routes, is to process claims in France. And uh, Starmer is saying that he wants to... Was it Starmer that says he wants to turn uh, smugglers into terrorists? Mm. So, but but these are people, <laughs> as we talked about earlier, these are people in another country. How are you going to... How is that going to work? Mm. So it, it seems to be... He's looking at policy. He says, OK, immigration is an issue, but I don't want to tackle it too radically because it's going to upset this small section of the voting bloc um, that I need in order to win power. But um, I think the country needs massive change. Like when it came to there was a one, I think it was a, uh, one of the shadow ministers was asked about a collapse in schools. And she was asked, are you going to invest the money necessary to maintain schools, to rebuild schools? And she said, well, we have to look at what we're going to we're going to um, take over from the Tories. You know, what sort of economy we're going to take over from them when we gain power. But you, you can't say, well, we're going to look at whether we should rebuild schools or not, or we're going to invest in the NHS. These should be front and center of any policies. Um, if you're not going to invest in those, then what's the point in having a government in the first place? On the subject of Starmer again, you know, Blair won uh, on the basis of change. It was all going to be about change. With, and and with, Obama, well, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and Obama, yes. Uh, uh, but but uh, Starmer's just about, it'll all be exactly the same. We're not going to upset anything. And uh, what's going to happen, as soon as he gets in, if he does get in, He'll get blamed for everything, and the economy will go on down and down and down, and everybody will be blaming him. The, the Tories all, all sort themselves out of it, be a bit more reasonable and a bit less extreme, and they'll get back in the time afterwards. I mean, it's, and the, the people who defend him say, "Oh, well, he's just saying, he's just saying, he's not going to join the market, but he's just saying it to get the votes." What sort of a policy is that? Yeah. To actually, lie to people to get into into power. It was just nonsense. Mm. I think he's really, really got it wrong, and I'm very disappointed. I just don't see a any way that he can uh, he can recover go on then if we if we're all advisors to starmer we can all give one policy each what would you what would you tell him well i mean it's just a very quick win isn't it i think i mean the 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 proportion of the population that would be supportive of this policy privatized water and they say oh it costs too much we can't afford it i mean if you measure it in terms of how many test and trace programs are we talking about? You know, I don't think it even comes to one. <laughs> and, you know, there are ways of getting it back cheaper. I mean, you, you, you should have signaled by now that, hey, we're going to re reprivatize the water industry. Or nationalize, yeah. Renationalize. Sorry, renationalize the, the water industry. And, you went full uh, full Tory there, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we, we are the only country in the world with a privatized water industry. It's crazy. Yeah. And for the leader of opposition not to have that front and centre, I mean, that's such a huge, big, quick, easy win for him. Just the pledge to bring it back into public ownership. But, but yeah. I think to to play devil's advocate somewhat, and that's normally Alex's role, but um, they um, people will say, well, if he, say, if he claims to do that, then where is he going to find the money to do that? And it, it would cost a significant amount of money to nationalise. But I think sometimes people think nationalisation is complete state ownership. And you don't even have to go that far. As long as you have a, a, a majority stake in any of these private companies, then the state is in charge. So mm. um, it's like the railways as well. You know, the, if you want to renationalize, you don't actually have to buy every shareholder out. You just have to have a majority 
and then you're then you're in charge and then you decide um how, how much fares it cost or whatever so and sorry go one on. way of uh, one way of renationalizing it would be to uh, um bring in fines of a million pounds every time they chuck sewage in the river exactly mark i was going to say that there are ways to to get around this you know and, or, and or also people in prison but to see you in prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um, um max you you bring up another good point there uh, which is, you know, this, we all talk about all oh, spending plans, but, you know, there's such a thing as sort of day-to-day -day expenses, adding things onto the, like, the, you know, the national commitment in terms of day-to-day -day spending, but investment in something like water or rail is a very different animal to, to just public spending increases as a whole. And I would say that, yeah, whatever the upfront cost of that privatisation, the investment is going to give you a return within very, very short years. Uh, did, you, did you see the figures that came out I think yesterday, comparing the European Investment Bank's investment in the UK yes. versus what we've invested. I think it's, is it 20%, 17% yeah. investment? And interestingly, it's on infrastructure. So the, I think there are three separate banking institutes that the government has set up with about 22 billion to mess around with. And I think they've only invested 17% in infrastructure, mm. which of, of what they... European Investment Bank was investing in. Yeah, yeah. There was even an article saying, and I mean, Max, you could, you and I probably could testify to the trains in Italy. I mean, they're superb, and the roads. I drove around the whole island of Sicily. I couldn't believe it. They were just flat as a pancake, huge roads to be able to get around. And I'm looking over here. We we've got we've got Rod Stewart filling in potholes. <laughs> This is the state of the road here where I live in uh, in Pardo. and it's been like this for ages because people are smashing their cars up and the other day there was an ambulance for the first time. My Ferrari can't go through here at all so me and the boys thought we'd come and do it ourselves. So this is what we're doing, filling in the holes while millions and millions of pounds have been spent on the M11 and all over there. <laughs> Which is fucking shocking. Is, is his career that bad? <laughs> career so badly. But doesn't the doesn't the Italian state rail um, company own one of the British lines? Is it Davide? Yes. Yeah. One yeah. of the. Yeah. It's an, I don't know if it's the Italian state, but it's a bit. Yeah. It is a bit complicated because it's the the state own certain companies or have a share in certain companies, right. and some of these companies have shares in um in British in British rail operators. But yeah, definitely the case that British um you know people buying tickets, some of that money is going to the Italian state. Yeah. Price per mile in in Italy and in the UK for railways owned by the same company. Mm. Yeah. I think I got from Sicily to Rome for 20 euros. Really? And that included that included loading the train onto a ferry, which then went across. I can't think that I want to. I know it's to do with the, the Strait Odyssey. of Messina. Oh, it's the Strait of Messina, is it? That included going across the Strait of Messina in a ferry and then unloading. And you're like, I mean, you'd obviously get a lot of pessimistic people in the UK going, well, that's why they're all poor over there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, at least it works. <laughs> and part of the reason the fares are so cheap, as I think um, Max was just touching on, is that the British public are subsidising those European train companies because most of them are invested in various train companies in the UK. And there was a wonderful video, wasn't there, a couple of years ago with all the different nationalities, especially the Dutch, I remember the Germans, the French, saying thank you, British public, for subsidising our railways. Oh, yeah. The people of the Netherlands 
The people of France. The people of Germany. Want to thank the British people. Because you privatized railways. Our publicly owned rail networks can buy your rail network. So when you buy a ticket on Thameslink, Gatwick Express, Grand Central, Chiltern Railways, on Mersey Rail, Scott Rail, Greater Anglia, London Midlands, DLR, Northern Rail, London of Rouen, and Cross Country, Southern and Southeastern, the profits go to making our railways cheaper. In 2012, we got three million pounds just from Greater Anglia. Not only that, the British taxpayers pay our franchises massive subsidies. Without which you can never make a profit. So even if you never catch a train, you're still sending us money. It's a wonderful so rubbing people's noses in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was an interesting there was an interesting uh, clip from the transport. Uh, Transport Commission, I think it was this week, commission, no, a committee meeting where a Tory MP stood up and gave an example. And this is quite surprising. The cheapest way for rail passengers to get from London to Plymouth, the cheapest way is to travel via London Waterloo and change at Exeter St. David's. And you should buy a ticket from Waterloo to Axminster and another ticket from Axminster to Plymouth, which in total will cost you £93.90 return, and if you had a rail card, you would pay just £64.50 return. But right now, if any of you have smartphones, feel free to have a look for yourself. If you entered on your smartphone, London to Plymouth, you will be given the option to take the 10.04 from Paddington to Plymouth, <coughs> which when I checked before this debate, you will be offered a ticket on the train line for a staggering £158.70, almost £100 more than the cheapest alternative, which is actually on the 10.20 from Waterloo to Exeter and then change. But why is that? It is because anti-competitive online digital Algorithms have been set to block certain ticket combinations. In this example, on the Waterloo to Exeter line. And to be fair, it's not just on the train line app. Anyone who wants to, have a look on southwesternrailway.com and try and book the same fare on that website. Put in those details. But why not even try specifically to put London Waterloo to Plymouth? And you will find it won't give you the cheapest combination either it will send you to paddington and make you pay more but if you were to go to the ticket station they'd be obliged to give you the lowest fare and if you were to do it you know they, you take a, a, a train from one one town to the next town change once buy another ticket and go to the the final destination um it costs you about 65 quid so it, it's almost 100 100 quid cheaper uh, if the if you go to the ticket office and what do the rail companies want to do? They want to close the ticket offices. Mm. So it's, it's about saving money and it's about also fleecing people. You just hate. The craziest thing is if you want to go to, to, to Edinburgh, it's, it's, it's a fraction of the price to go by plane than it is to go on the train. Would you, would you like to know a horrible history fact as well about the trains? Some of the trains were quicker in the 1800s <laughs> by four to six minutes. So I think Manchester to Leeds... Is one of those one of the, I think it's six minutes. Uh, how is that possible? Speeds. I don't know. 
I, I, on it because they talk about scrapping HS2 now, aren't they? Yeah, it seems like the public are sick to the back teeth of it. Mm. But you're like, if you look at what the project, there's an interesting, there's an interesting diagram. I'll ping it up on here when we, when I edit it in. There is an interesting diagram showing what the eventual European plan was, which was actually connect Manchester all the way down into and give them a direct route into Paris. And it's just gone. Slowly and surely, you could see that from Manchester, it was also to go to other northern cities. So there was this like interconnected European play. And yet, slowly but surely, this has been eradicated. Now, what is it? Just a Birmingham HS2? Hmm. And it doesn't even reach London, does it? Stop, stop it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it stops at Burnt Oak or something. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I bet this, I bet this new railway line from, from New Delhi to... Uh, to to Europe will be, be, be built quicker than the uh, HS2. Uh, it's taken so long, hasn't it? It's been 10 or 15 years this has been going on. It's still not... Wasn't it telling that we got left out of that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I assume the US and the EU just said... Why bother? Why bother? <laughs> Which is horrendous. Um, yeah. we're, we're, good. We, we're completely sidetracked. Michael, what would be your one Labour policy you'd bring in to get him a bit more on, and I'll use the pun, on track? On track, yeah. I think mine would be to just just try and find ways of working closer with uh, with, with Brussels and, and, and uh, probably go out begging if we can find some way of, uh, uh, of uh, an accommodation whereby we can rejoin the, the customs union or the single market. I thought you were going for a policy of making Labour MPs homeless for a night, so they... <laughs> I mean, like going cap in hand and trying to. So what, like Erasmus or? No, no, I mean just generally, just start to try and try and try and start rowing back on 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 Brexit because I mean we are never going to succeed outside the EU. We're just going down and down and down. Sooner or later, we're going to be we're going to be begging them. Hmm. Max, what would your policy be? I I would have said something like like what Michael said about Brexit, but I think also for me, education and health are the most fundamental for society. So reinvesting in in schools and reinvesting in the nhs um nationalization of the nhs taking out all these private companies mm. um hiring people directly um not through agencies and uh, well so there was some good news this week where uh, i think it was angela rayner was talking about banning zero hour contracts and um giving right. um giving trade unions more more access to workplaces so they can go in they can sell the idea of joining a union to many people who are in uh, places where probably they they never even thought about the possibility. So um, strengthening unions definitely will be one, but um, probably for me, health and education are the principal ones. If you don't have those, then you don't have a functioning society. I, it would be overhauling the entire tax system, top to bottom. I mean, I was I worked out today, if you were to get rid of the income tax exemption for anyone who earned over 100k, which is five percent of the population, working population, so that's about 1.2 million people, just get rid of that exemption, okay? Because I assume they can just about afford that if they're on 100k. That would give them about 6.6 billion, and you would have that money coming in straight away because you could put in that exemption either within the next tax year or within a couple of months, so everyone's a little prepped for it. But that would bring in 6.6 billion into the into the coffers and i'm going if they're earning 100k i think they can afford that but i I also feel and this is onto a bigger thing is there an element that they're just terrified of the wealthy 
So, for example, the newspaper barons or big donors who do pump money into the Tory or did. I think there was a report out or article claiming that rich people are now switching over to the Labour Party. I assume to buy influence yeah. for the next five years. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it goes back to what you said, Max, with that. No, yeah, I said uh, many moons ago, I said, um, if you wanted to... Um... What, what, if you wanted a guarantee on your return on, on investment, you go to the bank and you take out a loan for £5,000 and you buy your local Tory MP. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the money will then roll in. You know, it's, yeah, it's something like that. It, it, it's a bit concerning. Like, we're sort of cheering on the Labour... Great, the, you know, the big donors are switching from the Tories to the Labour Party, but why are they doing that? Is it because Ooh. they agree with Keir Starmer's policies or is it because they want influence? Uh, it's it's because they want influence. It's uh, I I think these people, these rich people, they like hobnobbing with uh, with politicians because they know they can influence them and influence them as they as they want uh, them to behave. And likewise, these politicians, they're they're very uh, dazzled by money. I think they all like hobnobbing with these rich people and a chance to go on somebody's yacht and all the rest of it. You find they're all mixing together, whether it's Labour or Conservative. Once they get to the top, it's also crooked. It's just. Uh, and of course, once once rich people start doing favours for politicians, then the politicians are indebted, and, and that's that's the way it works. It's, it's always works. We never had it as bad as it is now, but I mean, I, I'm sure it'll be just the same. Do you think we've never had it as bad as this, or we just it just never got reported because it was sort of hidden under the table type of corruption? I think it's library. much much worse now. Ever since Johnson, Johnson profoundly changed everything, and I think now. Uh, if you've got money and you're corrupt and you're going to get away with it anyway. Um, look, look at what's, what people have been getting away with the last, uh, you know, the last couple but, of years. I think one of the most interesting things to say, which somewhat segueing a little bit with that, was how we bailed out the banks in 2008 for, what was it, 850 billion or something crazy? Mm. But when it came to mortgages and everything else, and when we needed help, the banks have gone and stuck two fingers up at us. Am I wrong in thinking that? And is that part right. of the corruption and the wealth? Because I'm going, these mortgage rates are through the roof. I mean, why are they doing that? Like, well, why yet, didn't they help out like, ordinary did... people instead of helping hmm. out the banks? Or help out both if, that, if that's necessary? Because many people went to the wall, their businesses closed, people lost their homes, um, and even worse, uh, because of the, the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, um, and then recently as well. So... The government are ready to bail out the banks, for example, but they're not always so ready to bail out people. Like, for example, Rishi Sunak was against the, at the beginning, he was against the um, the furlough scheme. Mm. And now he's preaching how he was the inventor of it and he should be praised for the, the great work he did with the, the furlough scheme, which the furlough scheme did help a huge number of people. There were a lot of people left on the sideline, something like three million self-employed people didn't receive anything, any support. But... Oh, um, yeah, Sorry, I'm one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them. I was just saying, you're right. I'm one of them. I, I had no help whatsoever from Rishi Sunak as a small business. But... I mean, they, they they really hammered you, didn't they, Rob? Because you also used to work, well, hammered most of us, actually, because we had connections with the UK and the EU in terms of business. Yeah, well, I lost I lost a significant portion of my business um, the day that Brexit happened because... Uh, I was finding work for performers and artists in Europe. Um, and they just, I mean, Ireland has been the biggest beneficiary. I used to supply English speaking actors to um, English theatres in Hamburg, Frankfurt, Vienna, etc. And they just flipped to the Republic of Ireland and, and got people from there instead. So it's, 
Yeah, I've closed, I've closed my agency. It was just, you know, that was basically my margins gone. It's just, just not worth it anymore. And I think Michael suffered even more than me. Mm. Yeah, but you can find uh, new, 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 new places in Peru and CPTPP now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Oh, I, I, I had I had two or three hundred customers in uh, Holland, Belgium, France, and uh, Spain. And uh, the day of Brexit, that was it. Finished. And I spent twenty years building it. It's just absolutely for nothing. But the, but you got your sovereignty. I got the sovereignty, <laughs> of course, absolutely, yes. So if you ever get hungry, you know, you take out a bit of sovereignty, stick it on the pan, fry yeah. it up, and, you know. <laughs> what was it Michael Michael Caine was, um, no, well, yeah, Mike, uh, Michael Caine, wasn't it, saying this week he'd rather be a poor master than a rich servant? And I tell you what it is with me, is I'd rather be a poor master than a rich servant. Which was rich, still... from a rich boss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be nice to try out that, wouldn't it? Let's see him. <laughs> let's see if we can put him into that experiment and how much he, yeah. he maintains well, that yeah. position. No, no, no one is ever going to accuse him of being particularly clever. I don't think. No, that's right. He's a big monarchist as well, isn't he? I think. So. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those actors are. I guess they all want their sir lords and <laughs> yes, yeah. whatever else in between, don't they? Well, Stephen Fry is. Which surprised me. He was out defending the monarchy. Really? He was saying, well, these countries don't have a monarchy and they're in the top 20. I'm like, well. Countries that have kings and queens, which are rationally stupid, weird ideas, <laughs> are empirically freer and more socially just than countries that don't. Consider that. Look at the world now. Look at social justice, happiness, freedom and equality in the world. And you're thinking Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Benelux countries, uh, uh, and uh, um, Britain, which does have very high levels of social justice, hmm. and, uh, and Holland. And these countries have kings and queens. And so they have constitutional monarchies. So it isn't, it, that's what I mean by being empirical. Right, well, that's I'm, tough... I'm not saying, therefore, you must have a king and queen in order to be free, but all I'm saying is you, having one doesn't stop you. Mm -hmm. from being freer, from being opener. I mean, these are very open societies, Denmark and, and, uh, and Sweden and, and Norway in particular, incredibly open societies. Yeah. Uh, but that's... And so similarly, um, I am not necessarily in favour of separation of church and state. And the reason I'm not is that I come from a country where church and state are absolutely like that. Mm -hmm. And it's the most secular society I have ever experienced, has the highest level of atheism anywhere. Yeah. And America has separation of church and state and not only they all believe in god they all believe in bloody angels yeah you... <laughs> 74 percent of americans think angels walk on the earth yeah you... let's be honest <laughs> america doesn't yeah. germany doesn't france doesn't seem to get rid of them and they act quite all right mm. i mean we, we we're not going to segue into that i mean we've got to talk about i mean it's interesting you were talking about how boris has brought a lot of damage into into politics. Is he the final nail in the coffin of the Tory party? Are they going to be able to bounce back from all of this, this bounce damage? Back. Go on, Michael. No, I was going to say they'll bounce back. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a big, powerful, strong party. And a lot of people will have been disillusioned. A lot of people would have sort of perhaps let their, their memberships lapse because of what's been going on. But I think in due course, if it's a question of uh, Labour or Conservative, they'll all flock back to the Conservatives. And I th as I say, I think after the next election, the, the Conservatives will be a lot, lot different party than they are right now. I think all the crazies will go, 
most of them are going to uh, going to retire anyway. And uh, uh, yeah. Um, people got very short memories. Can I? Can I? Maybe yes. I, I disagree a little bit with my and I, yeah. and, I, and I think your 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 analysis is correct. But I, I think it's possible that the conservatives could go in two directions because we, we think that well they'll get rid of all the crazy people. But the the thing is, I have a feeling that um, Rishi Sunak will be the sacrificial lamb, and the the crazies in the party will say, "Oh look, the reason we lost was because we weren't conservative enough." And, we were, and yeah. who did we put in charge? Rishi Sunak. We should have had Boris in charge or we should have Liz Truss in charge. So I, the, it's, it's possible that the party, when they're in opposition, will realize, actually, we need to move more to the center. Um, mm. But it's, I don't think it's guaranteed because um, there are a lot of crazy people still in the party. And it's not so much the MPs, it's more the members. And I think the members really wanted somebody like Boris back. They wanted Liz Truss uh, they they didn't want Rishi Sunak, so they're go- if they're if they're going to lose, running with a moderate, a moderate within the party, and I think he's going to get blamed, and his politics is going to be blamed, and you can sort of see that already with, um, you know the the far right on talk TV or GB News, they're saying look Rishi Sunak isn't conservative enough, he's not Brexiteer enough, and um, they. Whether that will help the Tories or not, I don't know. But it's possible that they could, when they're when they're defeated, they'll say, "Well, it was the problem was we were too moderate." <laughs> kind of strange to imagine, but they say we're, we were we weren't right wing enough. We need to put somebody like Kimmy Badenoch in charge or Suella Braveman in charge. Those are the real conservatives. And what frightens me is that you never see any criticism of Suella Braveman on um talk tv or in the express or anything like she's responsible for stopping the boats she's responsible for bibi stockholm she's responsible for um crime for rwanda for so many things like when there's a crime committed in london for example they blame rishi uh, they blame uh khan but they never blame suella braverman like she's ultimately responsible for prisons overflowing for uh, mm. people escaping but she never gets blamed so i think she's been prepared groomed in a way for for leadership and um mm. and this is concerning because the conservatives we would hope would move more to the center pro europeans yeah. would take over and then you would have more consensus but i think what the labor party need to do in the first uh in the first parliament is bring in pr mm. they need yeah, to get rid of first sure. past the post but but, get... but but starmer's ruled it out hasn't he yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they had a vote in the conference, overwhelmingly in favour of, of changing to PR, and he said, no, it wasn't a priority. I, I mean, just just going back on that um, Conservative Party thing, uh, I, I'm afraid, uh, yeah, there, there are two scenarios. Michael's um, painted one that, hey, uh, the Overton window is going to start shifting back, maybe they'll move back to the centre. But, I mean, the machinations of the Tory leadership contest, um, if you look at the Conservative home uh, polls, Kenny Badenoch is strongly strongly ahead of all other potential candidates i'm pretty sure i would today walk down to the bookies and, and put money on kemi bannock being the next leader and I, d- I don't think the public know much about kemi bannock but i would say that she's probably more right-wing than suella braverman mm. she is the lead culture warrior in the tory party she's the one that tries to raise the hatred about trans trans people and, and other minorities she she is really really nasty piece of work Thank you, Mr. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I'm very sorry that the sequencing uh, that we chose was not to your satisfaction. I was... Uh, uh, <laughs> order, 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 order. That is totally not acceptable. No. 
Who do you think you're speaking to, Secretary of State? I don't want. I think we need to understand each other. I am the defender of this House and these benches on both sides. I am not going to be spoken to by a Secretary of State who is absolutely not accepting my ruling. Take it with good grace and accept it that members should hear it first, not a WMS or what you decide. These members have been elected by their constituents and they have the right to hear it first. And it is time this government recognised we're all elected, we're all members of Parliament, and use the correct manners. Secretary of State. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why she's popular, because she is so aggressive, she's so rude, so horrible, and as you yeah. say, Rob, she's so right-wing. Why do people? I mean, what about all these people, Colonel and Mrs. Frobisher in in in, uh, in Leamington Spa? Are they going to back her? I mean, I. Mm. I, I think it's, it's the problem with the membership. The membership is much more right-wing than the parliamentary party. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, and, exactly. and they they want somebody as ex, as extreme as possible. So you you'll have people like Suella Braverman or or Bandenock. Um mm. Bandenock is a, is an idiot. Um, she doesn't mm. understand Brexit. She's been no. she's been asked to explain you know a number of things about. It. She even said like I did a response video, and uh, she called it the the trade and uh, continuation agreement instead of the trade and cooperation agreement, the TCA. Mm. And you know she's the business secretary. She shouldn't make mistakes like that. Yeah. Uh, I let it go because I, maybe it was a you know she she messed up with that. But um, Phil from a different bias called it out and he says like you know she she shouldn't be making these mistakes because if mm. she made the mistake before somebody would have called would have explained it to her. Um, so it's pretty serious. Well, mm. Phil pointed out greatly last week how Grant Shapp started talking about how the RAF would be very happy with its aircraft carriers. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> and then there was another one with one of the Labour uh, shadow ministers coming on to BBC saying that Boris, when he was foreign secretary, came up to him asking, what is a customs union? Oh, uh, Garden, wasn't it? Yes. On so many levels. Why would you go to a shadow? Google it. <laughs> just... Just Google and find out why you go to the opposition and giving them ammunition or something like that. It's just on so many levels. So you go, oh, did he? Is that true? Did he really happen? I'm, but but, his, but Boris's supporters that wouldn't dent their support one iota uh, because wow, that's just Boris, you know, having a bit of a laugh. <laughs> anyway, who who knows what what the customs union is anyway, and why is it important? <laughs> I think the whole th I think I think there's going to be a big problem with all parties unless they get so it's really interesting when get, uh, looking back at history and how economic policy goes ahead when you're in a recession you generally need to spend it's just that a lot of these guys don't want to tax the rich and you mm. see it in the states and you see it over here and we did the experiment of okay so let's just tighten the belts and see if we'll pull ourselves out and it actually ended up taking longer to pull ourselves out than it would have done if you just spent the friggin money and taxed mm. the rich there's, there's, there's only so many ways you can get around this. Labour at the moment are turning around and saying, we're going we're gonna to let the economy grow. That's it. It's just going to grow. And you're going, that's your policy? You've literally, I mean, you went on the stats of the schools. If they, go, if they continue on that route of four schools a year, which isn't even what they're doing, actually, it's two. It's going to take 100 years to fix that. Then you've got reports coming out about the hospitals. Then we've got reports coming about asbestos. You're going, you need a ton of money. And you're not willing to tax the people who have money, even if some of them are turning around and saying that. And I'm going on a bigger picture. Is uh, Let's say Kemi goes in. I don't think there's anything in between those ears. 
not mm. not the radical stuff that you need to be able to get yourself out of a recession or to get the public on board with you. And she's going to be competing with that versus the Reform Party. Mm. And let's face it, quite I'm sure quite a few Tories are just going to go, this party doesn't represent me. She doesn't represent me. I'm going to the Reform Party. So mm. you're going to see this sort of split, which hasn't really happened before. Like UKIP did a little bit during Brexit. And I mean, now look at them. And historically, look at the Whigs. The way I see you getting out of this is to spend. And where do you get the money from? Well, you've got a tax. Who key tax? Well, you've squeezed the working class and the middle class. And you it's this insane economic policy of trickle-down economics. And I'm looking at this and going, every time I've looked at a country that has had a similar massive economic problem that needs to get out of, it needs to spend. We can't borrow. I think we're all in agreement on that. There's no more borrowing available. I, I mean... Liz Truss, part of her economic policy was that, and the market went fuck off. And that was the end of her, shortest prime minister in history. So I, I don't see, and there's there's clever ways of doing this. I just don't see a way out, but I also don't see a solution with Brexit either. Because as you've all said, this is hampering us, and they're all in denial. They're all Brexit parties, yeah, yeah. the leading ones. So... I mean, maybe the Tories can't bounce back because they're going to be competing reform and they're going to have crappy economic policies that aren't going to work. They might be able to get some rich people to come along with them, but how many? I don't know. Mainstream media is dying out, so there's less impact with that, and it's more about podcasts. We've got youth coming in that get bigger and bigger every year, going, we want to get back in, and this conservative tory light policy of getting on the housing ladder hasn't worked in over 20 years we can't afford it they're going to switch to socialist policies so i'm just looking at all of this and going i'm not sure i think labor in the next election will shrink but i mean that's not really that shocking in general i don't see much happening with the tory party unless they become radical and if you're saying kemi's the one that's a shoe in i don't see that Mm. i don't see how they're going to get more out of that than they would out of richard tice do you know what I mean? But, but see, the thing is, for the Labour Party, so going forward, they need to do something radical. Um, if they don't, if they just spin their wheels for the next four or five years, they're going to lose power. Um, and I don't see the the Conservatives winning at the next general the next general election after this one, unless the Labour Party really mess up. But mm. the economy is not going to improve to a level where people are. See, it's not just about, uh, and this is what you see a lot in the media is about. Oh, inflation is up this percent, or inflation is down this percentage, or the economy has grown by zero point five percent. See, we're no longer in a recession, and it's presented as some sort of win. You have to listen to what people on the ground feel, and people are saying things are getting worse. Yeah. Prices, yeah. prices are going up. Yeah. Um, transport is more expensive housing is more expensive uh, the cost of living is really biting more and more people are relying on food banks like warm banks was a thing that didn't exist until last year yeah um like this 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 winter will be probably warm banks once again so you need to do something and mm. uh, the labor party don't seem to be willing to do anything radical and i think it's going to harm them but the the conservatives are not presenting any any real alternatives so and they're not going to like they're they're actually planning to be in opposition at the moment they're asking so, questions yeah. in parliament as if they were members of the opposition mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you hear the labor party well both of them really they're talking about we're going to spend a lot money more money on this and we need to spend on that and we all know we need lots of money spending but there's only one place it's going to come from that's increased economic activity yeah. we have to actually make stuff or provide services which we're not doing at the moment 
And that seems to me the absolute should be the absolute focus of everything. Because unless you generate the money, you can't do anything. But then that comes into my point. I think as much as you want to grow the economy, you need to tax, you need to raise the funds. And yes. the only way I see yes. doing that is through tax. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, don't get me wrong. It's great if you can grow the economy. Always is. Yeah. This big green investment plan he has now. I, I'm a big, um, I'm a big admirer of Richard Murphy, the professor of accountancy at Sheffield Hallam University, and said there actually is another alternative to taxation, and that's quantitative easing. And if that quantitative easing, inventing money, is actually going to investing in green energy and providing future returns, you can quanti- do quantitative easing without raising inflation. Uh, I, I, he's written a book about it, um, uh, and it, I highly recommend it. Uh, Richard Murphy. Um, it, it's very radical. Th- the sort of radical thinking we need from the Labour Party. Yeah. For, like for every pound you put in, you get three pounds back. Exactly. When the, so, when the government invests money, you get you get a massive return. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what's happening is when during uh, austerity, you're taking money out of the economy. Yeah, exactly. After 13 years of austerity, you know, the, the, the national debt's gone from 800 billion at the end of Labour's reign. It's now over 1.5 trillion, I think. So it's, it's mm. doubled. That's where austerity gets you. It's not the answer. We need to up spending. Yeah, taxation, part of that, Alex. But, you know, we need to look at this idea of quantitative easing for investable money that's going to so, so I'm going to place like, devil's advocate because i haven't read the book and maybe it's it's come up with a great solution that i i haven't seen we've had gary stevenson on a couple of times who's an economist mm. who appears to be dead set against quantitative easing in a certain aspect mm. so what his argument is that's happened over essentially three times and what the mervyn king who was the bank of england had done and he's quite proud about it you'll hear clips of him saying how great he is for coming up with it uh, he didn't. <laughs> I think it's an American concept. Uh, no, Japanese. It's ja- the Japanese came up with it, interestingly, in the 1990s to try and sort their economic recession out, which interestingly is more to do with birth rate, but they thought it was going to be solved through quantitative easing. Um, their idea with quantitative easing was to then give that money over to banks and buy bonds in banks, which would then give the banks money. But the banks then invested that money not in working class, middle class people. They shunted it towards the already wealthy and gave them good loans, which mm. is why Gary has claimed and you know arguably demonstrated why he said there wouldn't be a crash. Because he said every time you do quantitative easing, it's basically pushing more cash into the system, which is good if you're an investor and you've got excess wealth because it means that the share prices are going up. But... If you're working class, if you're sorry, if you let's let's come up with a better term than that. If sure. you are a worker, a laborer, you're not going to benefit from that because the more money that you're pouring in, the less value it has. So it's creating inflation, which means that your purchasing power goes down, which is part of the reason he feels that we've had such a bad economic turmoil more than anything else. But I'd be interested to see because if the green policies worked in a way where, and again, I haven't read the book, I'm just playing teeny weeny devil's advocate sorry rob no no that's okay it's fine. <laughs> um if we're printing out more money and it's not going to the, the laboring classes and the the middle classes then that money could end up funneling back into into the wealthy and we're back at square one i mean yeah you're back to trickle down yeah, economic, pop my yeah, balloon yeah. rob pop my balloon no no no, no. i think he's very very specific about that money has to go into investable industry 
it, it, it's there for a specific purpose, not for just general housekeeping. It's there to create jobs. It will go to salary people, which is... I was going to say, I think what happened previously uh, was that the uh, quantitative easing meant the banks uh, created a lot of money, which they lent out. Well, banks lending out money are going to lend it to people who've got security. Yeah, exactly. Right. Lending exactly. for properties. So you get your, your property boom. And nothing is going into industry. Yes, exactly right, Michael. That's exactly the point Richard, Richard Murphy's making. Yeah, so Money for nothing, it's called, by the way, the book. Money for nothing. But isn't there, like, when it comes to, like, um, in pumping money into different sectors, if we look at what Joe Biden is doing with the anti-inflation, no, was it anti... IRA. The IRA, yeah. but no, nothing to do with Ireland. Um, but inflation yeah, reduction the, act. Yeah. yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, yeah. What he's doing is investing money in um, renewables, in um, battery yeah. technology, stuff like that, right. and it, and it's creating a lot of jobs. And, yeah, exactly. and the US is the US economy is doing pretty well at the moment in respect yeah. to others. But also there was a um, there was another point. Um, if I think it was Gary that mentioned it at, at the last time we had him on was that what happened where. When you give money to the rich, they buy assets. Hmm. And what happens is this inflates the price of assets, for example, property. And this means that, you know, in, a, in an area, they would buy a, a dozen houses. The price of these houses rise <clears throat> and then it rises the prices in, in the area. And this pushes out younger people or people who are struggling to get on the property ladder. So by giving rich people lots of money, they don't spend it in the economy, they buy assets with it. And this has a terrible impact on uh, on the economy in general. So it's better to give the money to ordinary people because they'll actually spend it in the local economy. They or, won't or buy to businesses. Or, or to businesses, businesses, yeah. yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll use it to, to upgrade their, inf their machinery, yeah. their equipment, uh, hire staff, whatever. Or as well for starting businesses because it's very difficult to start businesses now. We have to create businesses. We have to, to create People but make but you need staff, but you can't get staff because of Brexit. Putin. It's always Putin. We always blame Putin. <laughs> it's always going to be Putin's fault. It will be Putin's fault for eternity. Um, let's go into Brexit part two, which is coming in. Can you in tell us a little stages. bit about it, Alex? So I've the Financial Times came out with a report, which is based on the British Chamber of Commerce. So we've got carbon credit certificates being required in six industries which are cement, electricity, and hydrogen, which are brand new exports for us. We're actually trying to get a hydrogen deal with Germany at the moment. Fertilizers, but we I can't seem to find out too much about exports on fertilizers. And iron and steel is another export. Of course, you know we're all aware that the iron and steel industry in this country is doing so well at the moment yeah. without having to have... Keir Stammer recently said that he wants to nationalize. No, he wants a... He wants British steel to make British ships or something like that. Oh. What for, like the uh, air force? Yeah, <laughs> but but, the, but of course there's a problem that Tata and a Chinese company own British steel. So I don't know. If it makes a lot of sense if you want to. It seems that with Brexit, the Labour Party want to go in a more protectionist direction instead of free trade, and so it does make sense to have control over your own steel in certain sectors, which you can then control and create jobs with. So you have that steel industry could then produce your ships 
uh, or aircraft or anything else. I can, I can sort of see that. But we, 50% of our steel goes into Europe. Uh, I think 30% of our cement goes into Europe. We sold in the last quarter 1.5 billion pounds worth of electricity into Europe. And hydrogen, we've got a deal coming up or we're trying to have a deal come up with Germany. But it means that every time we ship anything in, we're going to have to have a carbon certificate to show if we want to ship into Europe, to show that that quality of good is being kept within certain parameters of environmental standards. Or if we brought in products from elsewhere in the world, where they've come from, and again, whether those products elsewhere in the world have been kept to a certain standard. And it just means you need consultants, you need lawyers, you need uh, administration staff. You'll probably, you might even have to retrofit your factories to be able to upgrade to export into the EU or use new tech and new training courses for staff to make sure everything's up to speed. And you're going, they've just added a ton of bureaucracy. And some of these industries are on their knees. Some of these industries, half of it goes over to the EU. So I'm going, I mean, it's good to see that all this stuff is like green friendly and the EU's trying to get everyone to come along with them. Plus they're also making sure internally everything's going well. But you're also going, this is red tape, which we're meant to be getting rid of. So I think this that's is a... part one of the, hmm. this in three sections, but that's section one. Any thoughts from anyone on that? Like, I just, I just want to say that it's a bit like if we look back at uh, the supermarket chains, um, the su- at the beginning of Brexit, the supermarkets, some of them were against the idea of Brexit, but some of them were not, were a bit more open to uh, supporting Brexit because they realized some of them, now this is a bit of a conspiracy theory maybe, but some of them believed that, well, what what are what's going to happen when uh, the small businesses uh, are struggling to import goods or export goods? They're going to collapse. So we're going to be able to uh, capture that part of the market. So the supermarkets are able to throw money at the problem. Small small chains are not able to do that. Small your corner shop isn't able to to compete with the supermarket. So I think it's going to be pretty much the same when it comes to steel. The big the big sectors the big companies will be will survive but the smaller operators will die but yeah it's this is just another example of why it's not good being a a third country like when the uk was a member of the european union it wanted to punish third countries as much as possible because it said you know why should we allow these third countries to have significant benefits of trading with the european union we need to keep them out we need to punish them and now that the UK is no longer a member of the, the European Union, it's getting punished by some of the rules. I don't know if these these ones that you're talking about, Alex, are ones that came in before 2016, but there are rules that came in before 2016 that the UK is suffering the consequences of. The carbon certificates come in this October, and it's really interesting seeing everyone's reaction here and you bringing up small and medium-sized businesses because the British Chamber of Commerce came out and that's how they ended up in the Financial Times quoting 80% of the businesses we've surveyed don't have a clue about this. Mm-hmm. And this is this is section one of the three sections that are coming in. They were like, they haven't got a clue. And they were telling the government through the Financial Times, please step up your info. I mean, we're two weeks out and 80% of businesses don't know that the potential carbons, that they potentially, I mean, it's only six areas, but potentially they're going to have all this new paperwork and no one's told them. Because, because, it's because Rishi Sunak is too focused on stopping boats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. But this has been a major feature of, of, of Brexit from the start, the fact that uh, for small and medium-sized firms, it is virtually impossible to export to the uh, or to, to, to export or import from the EU. 
it's made it just too difficult for big firms. Uh, uh, no matter how much bureaucracy is involved, they'll they'll manage it if it if it means keeping going. But uh, it, it's just layer upon layers that another two layers of uh, bureaucracy, which is totally unnecessary, achieves absolutely nothing whatsoever, has no value or no no benefit whatsoever. It's just just all part of Brexit. I mean, that sums up Brexit, really, doesn't it? I mean, just they, they sold it to us as sweeping away Brussels red tape. My God, have they replaced it with with UK red tape by the ton. Unless it's environmental standards, in which case they're happy to destroy the environment. Well, look at this thing about the uh, um, insecticides today, isn't it? Uh, um, I think since we since we left the EU, uh, the EU have banned some 36 different um, insecticides and uh, 12 of them are carcinogen, carcinogens. And uh, what happens to farmers? Maybe somebody can answer this. What happens to farmers who are using these these pesticides? They presumably cannot export to the EU. Mm. Now, are those bans going to apply to everybody, all farmers? Because what happens otherwise? They, they can't check everything when it arrives. They can't check every load of turnips and say, "Well, we need to we need to analyze these to see whether or not you've used insecticides or not." I mean, sure, it'll result in a ban of all food exports to Europe. Mm. Isn't that logically what's going to happen? It makes you wonder. Well, we can't. We don't even produce enough to feed ourselves. Forty-six percent, I think, we feed from our own crops. Yeah, that's probably gone down because we don't produce enough. Because Brexit again has damaged immigration. Do you, so I, I, I'm aware of the time, so I'm just going to say what Section Two is. Section Two is basically they're now adding VAT to any online services that we mm. provide into the EU, with the exception. So I had, I had to I had to call up, believe it or not, an accountancy firm. That specializes in this to get to the bottom of this answer financial and educational will be exempt uh but again you need to then check every single country for education for example to make sure they have an exemption so that means you need to deal with each country to be able to provide online services so rob you wanted to teach a guitar lesson in italy to max <laughs> you in theory would have to then because max is based in italy you would have to pay tax mm. to the italian government which i think the VAT tax rate is 23% in Italy at the moment. Right. So that can you do that adds on company? that extra layer of bureaucracy oh, again. And if you're a big company, again, you take take the stuff off and do it now. That's a big problem. I think our services okay. market, I think financial services and education are about 40% total. So still 60% of our industries that are going to be mauled, mm. which is which is huge. But again, if you're a small or if you're a small or medium-sized business offering services online, imagine how complicated it will be to register for VAT in in, in I don't know, Slovenia or or, or, uh, or Estonia or wherever. I, I mean, just so much hassle and paperwork again for absolutely nothing whatsoever. Yeah. And of course, Europeans, I, I presume, have got to do the same the other way around. Well, it, makes you want it. Though. I was I wasn't even able to get it clear. If you still have to pay the VAT to sell a service abroad, you probably don't because you would pay double tax. Mm. But again, not many people, I couldn't find any information to show one way or the other. So you're going again, it seems like the British government have just, or the Tory government have just dropped the ball mm. again. It's the same oh, yes. asymmetry on Brexit 1.0. You know, the Brexiteers love to say, didn't get Brexit done. And you know, in one respect, they're right. I've just got back from France. I was over there for a few days. And I was at the Pink Onion Festival in Roscoff, actually. Came back with a, a boot full of pink onions at the Douane at the, on, uh, in France, um, at Roscoff. Um, I had a thorough search by the Douane. They opened my boot, they opened my glove box, they opened, they opened my fruit, my 
front trunk and everything. Um, I got to Plymouth, just waved by. They're not checking. They're still not imposing these checks on goods coming into the UK. I had a full boot. I probably shouldn't have brought them back. I don't know. But the French customs waved it through. Why would they care? But, you know, I think I should have been stopped probably at the UK end. Shouldn't be bringing in agricultural produce, I don't think, without a, a license. Yeah, these, nobody's checking. But these these checks on goods coming into the country, uh, which have been now delayed, what, five times, yeah. they're going to be delayed until after the election. It'll be Labour's, sure. Labour's problem. And it's going to be a big, big problem because a lot, a lot of European food suppliers are something to say, sod it, we're not going to the UK. It's too much trouble, too much hassle. And suddenly mm. there'll be a big food shortage, I reckon, and prices will rocket. It's inevitable. Yeah. And we do not produce enough food. And there are rumblings in the WTO saying, uh, in a couple of newspapers I've read, suggesting that members are getting a bit irate that mm. the EU are being given preferential treatment. Yeah. Then you go, well, what do you do? Mm. Do you allow the entire world to be... Because their whole thing is about secure borders. Rob, you've just brought in a load of illegal onions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, the final thing is the biometrics checks. Yes. They're meant to come in next year. So the, the VAT stuff doesn't come in until January 25. But the biometrics checks come in May 24. Mm. I can't, the guys at Dover are panicking. Mm. What, happens when you've got, what happens when you've got a, a busload of uh, 50 or 60 people and, and one or two of them can't walk very well? You've got a few children as well. And they've all got to get off the bus. So they've all got to go to little cubicles. And, and some of them can't work it and some can. And they're back on the bus. I mean, it's madness. When you look at those queues in August at Dover, every single person having to do that, it isn't going to work. But they do it in America, and I can't see a, a valid argument against it. In terms of us complaining about it, it's like, well, if we're going to the United States and we've got to do it, exactly. Yeah. why is Europe not allowed to do it? Yeah. On that cheerful note, <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs>